What's up, Peoria? What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm Mark Supreme. And I'm Chris Kiergaard. Welcome to State of Peoria. You know what I'm saying? We're back for our sixth installment. And of course, it's brought to you by State Farm agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, where he specializes in, well, you know what he specializes in, man, car insurance, home and life insurance, and investments. That's the new thing, man. He's the best in the business. And you can make him work for you by calling 309-685-7111. This is our sixth installment of the collaboration between Strictly a Pop and uh, PJ Star interview series that's called State of Peoria, and it's all about the P. And this week we have two more mayoral candidates who are joining us to talk about their platforms, their proposals for the city, and what they'll do if you vote for them. A reminder to everybody at the beginning here, early voting is still going on. You can still do that at the Election Commission every day of the week now between now and February 22nd. So get over there and vote early or make sure you get out and vote on election day on February 23rd in the primary. Joining us tonight, we've got mayoral candidates Shama St. Louis and Andy Diaz. We're gonna take them in that order. So we'll bring on Shama St. Louis and have her talk to us a little bit about why she is running and asking for your vote for mayor. Mrs. St. Louis was good. Hey, how y'all doing tonight? We're good. We're good. Thank you for uh, being with us. Um, now, I, I, I spoke to Chris earlier for complete disclosure. Uh, obviously, you were part of the mayoral miniseries. Diaz was a part of the mayoral miniseries. We did the grilling session already. Um, I do want to come with a, a more conversational approach, especially given that there are a lot of people that want to get to know both of you guys. And you guys have been kind of out in the race uh, longer than a lot of uh, candidates that are vying for the mayoral position. Uh, I can't speak for Chris, though, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, But uh, I do uh, ahead of time want to thank you and Diaz and everybody else that participated in the in-person debate down at Central High School Auditorium, the best high school in the P. If there was any flack I was getting about anything, it wasn't about the politics. It wasn't about the candidates. It was about the fact that Central is the best school in Peoria and in the state. Uh, How do you think it went? What did you think about it? Uh, I thought it was good. I think that um, debate style is necessary for candidates like myself and also uh, Andy Diaz as well to be able to differentiate ourselves um, and be able to really have a conversation where we can actually dispute things that are said or actually have that back and forth type of dialogue. So um I I think we should have more of those here in Peoria. And uh, I wish the one that we had had come earlier uh, in the in the race. Now, you two are uh, obviously vying for the same position. Everybody up there was vying for the same position. Uh, But it seemed uh, maybe to a lot of onlookers that there's more of a connection between Diaz and Shama St. Louis versus everybody else? Is it because you guys are outsiders or is, is, do I have that? Am I completely off on that or what? Um, you know, I'm never an outsider. (laughs) I'm in where I need to be. So uh, (laughs) that's how I look at it. But I, I definitely understand what you're saying. We are definitely outsiders, um, for the right reasons. I think so. Uh, I think we often get, you know, paired together or talked about together because um, we are the two that are listed on the ballot who aren't currently holding a position around the horseshoe. Um, 
and we are the two that are talking about ideas that are different than what we've all always had. So, um, yeah, I can see why that's happening. What would you say has been the most difficult? I mean, you you, you were the first one to announce for mayor, uh, so you've actually been on the trail long, pretty much longer than anybody else has, uh, out in the front anyway. What would you say has been the biggest hurdle that you've been faced with in this run? Uh, I think it is really educating voters on why it's important that we add an additional voice to the council and um, also educating voters on the importance of like how their uh, current situation directly impacts um, whether or not they stay home or they actually get out and vote. And so uh, I think that has been the biggest um the biggest hurdle is the education component, which I really wanted to make sure was a priority in my campaign to educate our community members. So they're not just voting for me because they grew up with me or they've known me their whole life or, you know, I helped their dad or, you know, something to that effect. I wanted them to be able to make an informed decision, um, you know, and, and be able to vote the person who is going to best serve their interest. Do you think anybody can separate those two? I mean, if if you help somebody, can sometimes isn't it almost almost not impossible, but very hard for uh, a voter to say, you know what, I'm going to vote for Shama because I like her politics, or is just somebody else that says I don't like Shama? Like, well, I think liking my politics and liking me because I've helped you in some way is two different things, or you know, like. People can like my politics and like me because I've helped them. Uh, but I think when, when it comes to our vote, we really need to think about voting for community. So what is serving the best interest of myself, of course, but what is serving the best interest of us as a whole? And I don't think that we do that often enough, especially people of color. Um, we really have to start voting based off of what is going to be the best for our community as a whole. So whether or not I personally like someone, whether or not I like how they wear their hair or, you know, like how they deliver a message at the end of the day, what are the policies? How are they going to impact us as a community? And that's how we should be voting. I'm going to kick it off to Chris, but uh, to everybody watching, thank you for tuning in to State of Peoria. Don't forget, we are going to get to uh, audience questions, so please throw them in the comment box, and we are going to get to them momentarily. I, I want to dovetail on, on a little of what you were just asking, because, and, and Chama, you've you've been through several of them uh, as, as a citizen and, and working campaigns. Peoria's municipal elections are, are notoriously low turnout affairs, and Part of what it, it sounds as though you're you're working on on for your campaign is trying to attract people who who may not be traditionally motivated to come out during during either those races or or other races. And I know that that you've also made some effort the last three or four elections, city or statewide, to help register and bring more voters into the process. And I I guess I want to know what's part of that that not necessarily message you just outlined that but but some of the inducement that that you're pushing people to to encourage them to get out and vote you know wh whether that that's 
in terms of a policy that you're finding that resonates with them or a message about City Hall as it's been? You know, how, how are you in, encouraging people besides reminding them they need to vote their interests? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a couple things. You know, uh, I'm young, I'm younger, and so therefore uh, I have a fresh energy about me, and it's something new. Um, but also, I really believe that all four pillars of my platform resonates with people in a real way, um, and I know that for a fact because I spent the last three years leading teams and also myself. Uh, knocking doors and making phone calls in our community, um, over 40,000 phone calls, um, over 20,000 doors over the last uh, over the last three years, um, talking to residents about what's important to them, uh, what do they need to have in their community to feel safe, but then also what type of city would they like to live in. Um, and then also educating people on how to use their voice and how to feel empowered. And so when I built my platform, I built my platform based off of those thousands of conversations. I didn't just, you know, talk to my clique or talk to my friends or the people in my circle and say, this is, you know, I'm going to run for mayor and this is what I'm going to run on. I built my platform and I did the research on my of my platform based off of the information I received on the doors and on the phones. And so I think that is why people are getting out to vote. This is why people are, are excited about this election and have been more engaged in this election than they have in any other mayoral election um, in the last 16 years is because of that groundwork um, that you know myself and the teams that I've worked with uh, and the organizations that I've worked with have laid prior to this moment. Okay. I, let's talk about some of the those planks in your platform then and and both explain them and, and have you talk to people about how specifically they would work. And I, I want to start with the the notion of, of of the monthly stimulus program to try to try to help people with a, a basic income. Uh, you you note that it it wouldn't necessarily cost the city anything that that it would be donation funded if I understand that correctly. So talk talk about how that works and and how it can be targeted to the scale that's needed. Yeah. So uh, basically, what happens is it's a monthly stimulus pilot program or experiment. And I think what's so exciting about this is that there is now a coalition of mayors called the uh, Mayors for a Guaranteed Income uh, that have formed here in the United States to implement this stimulus program in their own city. So there's also support uh, for mayors who are trying to do this. And uh, we would have a nonprofit organization that is uh, uh, specifically for assessing a city for uh, bringing a basic income experiment to your city or a monthly stimulus program to your city. So they would come and assess our city. They would be the ones to determine how many people we should try to include, like what is our ultimate goal to include uh, in that experiment, but you know, what would be the long-term goal to in include on a citywide level? Um, who should be a part of that program when we first start off? So I would like to see and include uh, in the informally incarcerated, 
those who are low wage service workers, um, folks who are just getting back into uh, the working field um, uh, and people who are, are not making a living wage. And so um, they would then assess our city and tell us what would be the best way to implement this program here in our city, how many people we should start with, and then we can go about uh, creating the nonprofit organization um, or finding the nonprofit organization to partner with to uh, raise the funding for it. Okay. So I like, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please go ahead. Okay. So I like to use uh, Compton because Compton has about 95,000 residents and Peoria has around 108,000 uh, residents here. And so it's comparable in size. Uh, they've implemented a monthly stimulus experiment for 800 of their residents so far, uh, especially during the, the pandemic and COVID-19. We know that those who are our lowest income earners have been impacted uh, the most. Uh, with COVID-19. So they've implemented that. Um, San Francisco has done it specifically for pregnant Black women because pre pregnant Black women have a high mortality rate. Uh, and so therefore, putting that monthly stimulus in place allows them to relieve some of the stress uh, while they're carrying and a little bit after to ensure that they have safe pregnancies. So a monthly stimulus can fulfill a specific niche like San Francisco or it can fulfill or it can include uh, a certain amount of the lowest income earners in your city. And so being able to have a program like that, an experiment like that, allows you to be able to collect data from that experiment to make the case for a much larger program. So you can see like where people are spending the money, um, how they're spending it. Some data has come back to show that people actually spend the money on things that are needed. They're actually uh, boosting the economy that they're living in because they're they're shopping with local and smaller businesses. They're uh, doing more family recreational things and they're actually paying their bills like rent and utilities. So um, a monthly stimulus is different because it is a no strings attached. Uh, funding. It's not the same as other welfare programs or different things like that. Uh, this is no strings attached. And I think if we are really talking about changing people's lives and empowering people, we need to be bold and brave enough to want to implement something like a monthly stimulus experiment here um, and be one of the cities that is a trailblazer in this and not be 15 years behind like we are with everything else. Okay. What what's the the ballpark cost for for something? Like, and I I understand it, it would depend a little on on who you're scaling it to. But but in a comparable like Compton, what what what's the the cost that you have to get in terms of donations to make that sustainable? So Compton so far has raised two point five million with the goal of raising eight million. Um, so, and how, how they're divvying out or how much money they're divvying, divvying out to each resident is still hasn't been made public to us. So I don't know that, uh, yet, but, um, they have started with 2.5 million and the idea is to grow the scale to 8 million, uh, for their experiment. So, um, 
which I think is really ironic because, I mean, we gave $8 million to a developer. Uh, <laughs> 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 we gave $8 million to a developer and that money went down the drain. And now we're, you know, out $40 million as a result of um, that mistake. So imagine if we had taken that money and actually invested it into people. Imagine how uh, small businesses could have benefited. Imagine how uh, families could have benefited. Um, imagine how our uh, children could have benefited here in our communities had we invested, had we been brave enough to make a bold decision like that for residents uh, versus a developer. And, and to be clear, you're using that as an example. You're not saying the city should spend that $8 million. You're You're still calling for it to be donation funded. Yeah, here. I'm using that as an example. Like I, I, it, I just want to make, yeah. make that clear. Thank everybody. you very much. It's, I, what I'm saying is that as a city, we've wasted uh, resources, taxpayers' dollars that could have actually went back into the taxpayers' pockets. And so, um, of course, the experiment program uh, will be done by private funding, but that was an example. Okay. Does does this require city action, or, or is this something that that right now you could could start a not for profit and and begin to do it, or or work with community is, foundation to yep. to get it going? Yep. This is not something that would actually take a council vote. Now, I think that we would want consensus from the council, any, especially as mayor, you want uh, those who you are working with to bring about changes for the community to be on board because we're so much more powerful and stronger together and when we're on one accord. Um, but an idea like a monthly stimulus uh, pilot program does not take council uh, a council vote in order to implement it. We can absolutely work with a community org, a community foundation, start a nonprofit, get it going, um, raise the private funding, and um, and get this thing rolling. Okay. I'm going to toss it back to Mark after this next question. Uh, in, in going through some of your questionnaires that, that you submitted, uh, that, that we ran, I'm interested in, in this vacant property ordinance that, that you're proposing to encourage owners to maintain or redevelop vacant lots. How's that different from some of the enforcement that we actually have already now through community development? Um, what I'm interested in, uh, I think more so is like a land value tax. Um, and the reason I'm interested in that is because it incentivizes owners to do something with their property, right? So you can right now, the way that we have property taxes set up, if you want a bigger building, a bigger structure, you want to expand, then your, uh, your taxes go up. But if we had a land value tax, it can incentivize people to do something uh, with their, their, um, their vacant properties. It can incentivize them to build something big and beautiful, um, and it's not costing them as much uh, as it would with with our current structure. So um, I've been doing a lot of research about that and uh, looking at other cities who are trying to also implement a land value tax to cut down on uh, vacant properties and uh, cut down on 
uh, folks just, you know, owning owning properties and not keeping them up, which is bringing down the value in the neighborhoods. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, real quick, uh, you, you touched on it and uh, I was like, well, let's circle back on it. You mentioned the Pierre Marquette. How do you feel about the fact that obviously we know what happened with the money, but what was your position or what is your position on whether or not we should have redeveloped that hotel in the first place? I mean, that was not a priority. Um, and I think too often, uh, you know, when when the city is making decisions on where to spend money or what is a priority, they're thinking too much about other people coming in and not enough about the people who are already here and how to sustain us and how to build our capacity. And um, I think when, you know, the decision was made to renovate the Pierre Marquette and, you know, invest those dollars into the Pierre Marquette, um, it was done so with the idea that, oh, we're gonna have a lot of people coming here and they need a nice place to stay and things like that. But if you are not working to reverse a lot of the harms that have been caused by local government in your community, what reason do people have to come here? The reason that the hotel is doing so terribly is because people aren't coming here. They're not coming here, we're losing we're losing things, we're losing programs, we're losing IHSA, you know, we're losing Caterpillar. Um, and so I think that to answer your question, Marcus, absolutely, we should not have spent that money in the first place. I don't think it was a good investment in the first place. So do we let something historic like that, especially downtown on a main road in the city, crumble or what would have been your approach? Absolutely not. I don't think you let it crumble, but I think there's smarter ways it could have been done um, without knowing all the details of the ins and outs of everything that went on throughout the years uh, with the PR, Pierre Marquette. I cannot speak on it, um, but I don't think that it was the most important thing that we had to spend money on in the way that we did. And you also uh, briefly mentioned IHSA. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a huge hit for Peoria. The Gus Macker was a huge hit for Peoria. And, um, you know, Caterpillar and, and a bunch of other things. We, we've taken some hits over the, over the years. Any idea or any plan that you want to uh, explore to kind of bring some of those things back that we have lost that have been mainstays in Peoria, such as IHSA? Yeah, I think my whole platform speaks on that because in order to bring those things back or to attract new things here, uh, we have to get rid of some of the black eyes that we have. Like no one wants to be in a city where we're rated the worst place to live for black Americans, where uh, we've been labeled as having the most segregated schools in the country, where one in four people are living at or below the poverty level. And um you know, black unemployment rate is 40% higher than everyone else. Like those things does not make it attractive for a corporation or an organization to want to come and settle here. So in order for us to, to make us a viable option again for uh, another corporation or for another um, 
basketball, you know, tournament, we have to work on healing us from the inside. And we have to make sure that we're building capacity for our business owners who are here trying to stick it out. And we need to make sure that we are taking care of the residents and the working families that are here trying to stick it out. What do you say to people that suggest you are more about residents than the economy? For some people, they're, you know, they're big on economy and all they care about is jobs. And you got other people that are concerned about the residential life. But what do you what do you say to those that say you're not heavy enough on economy or you're too heavy on residents? Yeah, but Brett, that's an interesting question because to me, uh, what economy do you have without residents making the world go round? You know, like we are we are the ones that are that make the world go round. So therefore, uh, it's not just about economic growth. It's also about economic fairness. And those two things have to go hand in hand. Um, and it, and my entire platform leads to the account, like bettering our economy. My entire platform is about empowering people financially empowering startup and uh, scalable businesses to grow their capacity, giving people more ownership and agency over how their tax dollars are spent, um, and investing in our neighborhoods. I don't, I don't, I, I guess I'm confused as to, uh, you know, who, who would have that question. Maybe I need more clarity on what exactly they mean because I believe um, that my entire platform speaks to building the economy here in Peoria. You mentioned, well, you didn't mention Rita Ali in the in the debate from last week. Uh, there were several examples where Rita Ali mentioned uh, Columbus, Ohio, as being a an example for Peoria to kind of model after and figure out how we can fix some of the. Uh, missteps that we have in Peoria by checking out what they got going on over there. And obviously it's fastly grown and things like that. You fired back and said, actually, you know, Columbus, Ohio is one of the lowest. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember exactly what you said, but basically when it comes to race relations, that they are not as glorified as they may come across economically. What city, and you mentioned, uh, you, you did mention uh, Compton, but are there any other cities or any other townships or scenarios that people can kind of grab onto that might be a better reflection in your view than Columbus, Ohio, that Peoria could try to model itself after to some extent? I mean, I think, yeah, I'm sure. I think uh, Compton has it right. Um, I think uh, there's uh, Portland does a better job as well. Um, but, you know, I, I'm trying to reference cities that are comparable in size. And so, um, I've done a lot of research on Compton. Uh, I've reached out to their mayor's office to share some of, uh, the ideas that they have used. They've reduced, they reduced crime by 50% in one year. Um, they have, uh, economically empowered their residents 
Um, they've implemented a monthly st stimulus program. Like they're in the news right now for all the right reasons. Um, so this is why I keep using Compton. Um, but yeah, there's there's other cities that are moving towards uh, more progressiveness in policy for sure. Okay, I'm gonna kick it back to Chris again. I'm gonna keep saying it and saying it. You guys got questions? Get them in the comments. We're gonna get to them uh, momentarily. Um, and you know, you tuned in to State of Pure. I appreciate you watching. I told you I was gonna be relaxed today, man. Go ahead, Chris. All right. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the the business angle there with with what exactly you think City Hall isn't doing or ought to get out of the way on or ought to encourage by, by way of, of startups to scalable business. I, I know part of what you suggest there is focusing less on, on attracting you know, some gigantic corp to town and, and more on, on homegrown business. But again, how do we do that that we aren't already doing it? Yeah. And I do want to make it clear that I am not against, um, you know, attracting corporations that could come here and actually um, empower local businesses here. Uh, you know, we have places like OSF right now who um, could be doing business with a lot of these small business owners here to provide some of the things that they're looking for. Um, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, I want to be clear that, um, it's not that I don't think we need corporations here, uh, but I think that we need to center our attention on the businesses that are here and make sure they're thriving because those are gonna attract corporations here. Um, and then we need to set the standard to make sure that when we are attracting larger size businesses here, um, we have a standard for how our smaller uh, businesses are going to be treated and uh, what the requirements are so they are not, um, you know, put out of business because we decided to bring in a corporation. So I think that's important, too. Now, with that being said, um, one of the things I talk about in my platform is removing red tape and barriers for startup and scalable businesses. Um, and, and one of those things specifically is having more flexibility in our zoning to allow accessory commercial units or also known as ACUs. Um, and I think ACUs are important because, especially because of the pandemic, a lot of people have lost their jobs um, and they are, you know, in their homes researching and trying to figure out how to become entrepreneurs, how to start a business, um, and how to create that financial freedom for themselves and their families. And allowing accessory commercial units would allow for people to use their houses uh, for multiple for multiple uses. So this would be, you know, low scale, low impact passion projects. Um, this would not be ideal for, um, you know, something that's super loud or super disruptive to the neighbors. But um, we know that overhead costs and buying commercial space uh, is not attainable for a lot of people, um, especially, you know, with COVID-19. But being able to operate your business out of your home legally uh, will be very helpful. And that is a way to... Um, that is a way that that is something we have control over as a council to be able to um, create some flexibility to allow. 
So uh, for folks who are fixing cars out of their garage, for folks who um, have a little small boutique, you know, for folks like we can end it provides, it allows for communities where transportation is dismal, where access to getting to uh, bigger stores and, uh, you know, places with more resources is not as attainable. It allows them to be able to uh, stay within their communities and still get access to some of the things that they need. So, um, and it makes, it makes our communities more walkable um, and it, you know, um, fosters, sorry, I have pop-ups coming up, but it also, uh, fosters more of a community vibe because now you're doing business, uh, with your neighbor and with the person down the street and you're supporting each other. Okay. And if you're elected mayor, I, I can guarantee you that, that one of your top three or top five questions that you're going to get from, from citizens anywhere you go is going to be about infrastructure, whether that's sidewalks that haven't been fixed for 50 plus years on the South End or in the Valley, or, or whether that's on, on potholes along Nebraska or any number of other roads that, that badly need them. How would you deal with with that as as mayor? What what would your your priorities there be in addressing some of the infrastructure and in finding a way to pay for it? Yeah, we got to be able to generate revenue. Uh, we have to be able to uh, look towards getting funding, uh, federal funding, uh, state funding. I mean, um, being able to look for outside grants to generate revenue for uh, our city. But you know. The ways in which we get the most amount of revenue is from property tax and sales tax. And so we need people who are moving here, staying here, purchasing homes, uh, and we need people who are buying and selling uh, goods and services. Without that, we are not going to generate um, the revenue that we need. We're not going to be able to, if we're not growing our population, uh, and if people are leaving in droves, uh, we're not going to be able to fix those potholes and we're not going to be able to build that infrastructure. So I think my the reason why my platform to a lot of people may feel like it's not speaking to uh, more important issues is because my theory of change is different. My theory of change is we once we empower those who live here, uh, and, and other people can see how we how well we treat our residents, how well we treat our businesses. Uh, we become a place that we want that other people want to work and live and build a life. And when we're able to do that, we can attract more people to our uh, city. We can attract more uh, businesses to come here and we can start generating our revenue. It's not an overnight solution. But if, if the goal is to get to uh, having enough funding to balance our budget and to be able to fix our infrastructure and make sure residents are taken care of and business owners are taken care of, then we have to have a vision that is long term and we got to start moving towards that now. If we continue to elect people who uh, can only see 10 steps ahead, or can only see five steps ahead, we're gonna keep ending up back into this circle of where we are now. 
So um, in order to generate more revenue, we need to sit down with city staff uh, and departments who have been working, who may have great ideas uh, and haven't been heard. And we also need to start to repair the systemic harms that have caused us to end up in this place in the first place, to end up in this spot in the first place. We gotta start to reverse those systemic harms and my platform speaks to that. Okay, one of the, the most substantial changes that I think people would, would notice in your platform uh, calls for the, the creation of a community safety department splitting police into focusing on violent crimes and, and having the individuals in that department focusing on, on other nonviolent issues, whether that's being able to help with addiction, mental illness, homelessness-related cases that the mm -hmm. police routinely respond to now. So let, let's talk about some numbers on that. What what sort of alteration in would that be in, in police force staffing compared to those dealing with the nonviolent cases uh, that, that you've seen in other areas that have done this? And what have been the outcomes in, in being able to get proper aid to those people? One of the, uh, one of the, um, the cities that I've been looking at who I think has a pretty successful uh, uh, community Public Safety Department is Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, so I'll kind of go over what their safety department does do and what it doesn't. Um, as far as financing it, <clears throat> that's still to be determined. Um, and this is a long-term goal. So I do want to uh, make that clear that that should be the long-term goal uh, or that should be, you know, what we aspire to get to a community safety department. This is not something where I'm saying, uh, you know, I'll get elected tomorrow. I'm sorry, I'll get elected on February, April 6th. And then uh, next thing you know, we're reallocating funds completely into a, 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 a community safety department, right? So we have to do it. Um, in a strategic way where I would consult the experts on what's the best way to implement it in our city to where we can afford it. Um, and if it's really feasible, but I think it's something we should be thinking about. Um, so that's that's what I wanna, wanted to make clear. Now, what a community safety department is, is investing in behavioral health and community, shifting to a public health approach to poverty and trauma, focusing police officers' time on violent crime, investing in community policing, diversion programs, and violence intervention, emphasizing the core job of police officers as guardians, investing resources in a non-police response, responding to calls in a more cost-effective and sustainable way than police working alone, and building more than just another hotline or token gesture. Okay, so, what it is not, and I think this will kind of help open up people's understanding a little bit, is it's not taking money away from core police work or existing reform efforts. It's not turning away from the city's crime challenges. It's not deprioritizing crime fighting. It is not ignoring the shortage of officers in our department. It is not burdening officers with more tasks not related to their core job. It's not ignoring the massive budget cuts 
that the Peoria Police Department has suffered. And it's not pretending that people will stop calling 911 and needing a first responder. Okay, so it's not that scary. You know, or it's not. Um, this is something that I feel like is necessary to, um, to not overburden our police so that police can really focus on what they're trained to do, uh, which is deal with violent crimes. And I do understand that there are some situations that start off as nonviolent that can turn into violent. And that's where you would call the police uh, for, for support. So, um, but yeah, that is something like we have to start thinking about um, our city in a more progressive way. And we really need to start thinking about Peoria, not as it is, but as it should be and as it could be. Um, and that's what we need to start as aspiring to. So. Okay, I, I guess the, the one thing that I, I wonder about that, and I, I would imagine that that this would require work with with some of the other other agencies, but you know, routinely we hear now that there are capacity issues with, with being able to care for the existing numbers that we have by way of, of mental illness issues, addiction issues, and, and even homelessness here. And it, what what can City Hall do to address some of those capacity issues with private entities that would have to expand their capabilities before we'd be able to do anything like this? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's definitely a holistic approach. So it's not, obviously you don't want to shift the burden from one entity and then now you have other entities that are overburdened. That, so that's what I, happened when Zeller was closed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I definitely understand that. And, and that's not what I'm suggesting at all. I think um, in order to have a more holistic approach to be to be able to do this, um, we would have to figure out what we would need to add or what we can take away or what we can merge together in order to make it happen. I'm not an expert. In that space, I'm not going to pretend to know everything about everything when it comes to creating a community safety department. But I think it should be a part of the conversation. And I think it should be something that we seek out the experts to see if we were to make this a viable option for Peoria, what would it take as far as resources, as far as capacity? Um, and, you know, then we can start putting together a plan of action to eventually get there. Okay. All right. And remember, everybody, get those questions in. I'm going to kick it back over to Mark for a, for some more follow-up, and we'll go to your questions after that. So get specifics in there that you want us to ask, Shama. Definitely, definitely. Thanks, Chris. <clears throat> um, we we're talking about policing, and we're talking about community safety and things like that. I think it's uh, almost – almost low-hanging fruit, uh, within a week ago, a week and a half ago, uh, there was an instant, instance at Elevate where uh, youth fighting and things like that, and a lot of people were saying, you know, finger-pointing parents, the city, police, everything like that. Um, when it comes to juvenile-related fights uh, at Elevate, North Woods Mall, or anywhere else, what would you say is the solution, or is this something that is really outside of this, the hands of City Hall that needs to be dealt with on a community level? City Hall is community and um, 
I want to make that very clear that City Hall is not up here hovering like God and community is down here. Um, you know, City Hall should be made up of community and people who identify and relate to everything that's going on in the community. So when there's a fight at Elevate, when there's a fight at Northwoods Mall, when there's a fight at a school, um, that involves the city. The city has some responsibility to uh, ensure the safety of its residents at not just nine to five when City Hall is open. You know, all the time we have to have an infrastructure in place that keeps people safe and protected. Um, with that being said, never in the history of people existing and kids being kids and teenagers being teens have there not been fights, right? Like I, I can't think of a time, I'm sure we can all think of a time when we were younger where fighting happened. Um, maybe more often, maybe not as often, but it still was a thing. Um, I think what we are missing here as a city is that we haven't provided um, the access to the resources or the opportunities for success, right? So we make it very easy for people to fail. We make it very easy for people to uh, mess up. We make it very easy for people to give up, but we haven't made it just as easy for people to succeed here in Peoria. So this is what you get. You have people who are uh, experiencing PTSD, who are living in environments where they're constantly uh, watching violence happen um, and they're being traumatized on a daily basis. They don't have those, the same access and resources to the same type of education as people who are just eight miles, you know, up the road, eight, eight nine miles up the road. Um, and so they're at a disadvantage. And when you have so many things and then they're, you know, living in chronic poverty, when you have so many things that are stacked against you, the likelihood of you doing something violent, committing a crime or doing something destructive is much, much higher. Um, this is why in areas where uh, there are resources, there is adequate, uh, there is good funded education, um, people are making good money, people feel safe and protected, you don't see a lot of this happening. And so I think, yes, the city has a responsibility to create an environment that is conducive for success for our children and for our residents. And, uh, you know, schools also have a responsibility to make sure they're keeping the children safe, that they are uh, doing the best that they can to implement conflict resolution uh, when, when kids are at school. And then community has responsibility as well to make sure that uh, we're, we're being a village and we're not divided. And, um, you know, we're extending ourselves and, and offering help when help is needed and doing what we can to help curve some of the things that are happening, uh, some of the negative things that are happening with our children. Thank you for that. Uh, I got a couple more questions, but I will yield to the audience for right now and let them get their questions in as we promised. And then we'll circle back on a couple other ones that I had. Um, audience questions are brought to you by RondaGuidantravel.com. Only they give you domestic and international travel with a personal touch. 
leave all planning to RGT. That's RondaGuytonTravel.com. Um, so let's get in here real quick. Uh, is it time? I want to get back to the top because I know a lot of people came in here first. Um, let's go for... Look, hey, if you if you throw a question there, put a question mark on the back end so I know what to go look for. I'm just looking for I'm looking for the end of sentences to have a question mark on them. Um, we got a lot of statements. Yeah, we do. We statements do are good. Statements are good. Maybe they don't have questions. I gotta find them. I got them. <laughs> uh, Chris, I'll lead, yield to you if you see one already. I see a lot of statements. So, oh, okay, I, I see one. Uh, Jasmine wants to know how do we foster better. How do we better foster the police versus residents relationships? How do we better foster uh, police and resident relationships? Uh, that's like the, um, what is that? The age old question now uh, that I think lots of people, uh, lots of people have different ideas on how this should happen. Um, some of the ideas that I have is, um, you know, we have to build trust. And in order to build that trust, we need to cut down on um, police misconduct. And I think, you know, it's, it's the responsibility of the, how the police operates in a city is a reflection of what the council allows. And, um, you know, the council is the boss of the police chief. And so um, how police are, respond, are responding to community members is what our city is allowing. And right now there's just no trust. And so in order to build a relationship, this is like relationship building one-on-one. -on -one. You have to start with building trust. Um, community members have to feel like they can trust the police to do the right thing, to not uh, to be disciplined when they do the wrong thing. Um, and to also uh, protect and serve and be a guardian like they're supposed to do. And right now that's not there. And I think in order to start to work towards that, we need to have accountability where we haven't had it. We need to uh, really have our police department internally looked at, really see who has been uh, abusing community members repetitively without um, without being disciplined. And we need to set a standard and create a new culture for our, our police department that these things are not acceptable. Um, and I, to me, that's where we start first. You know, we start at the top with what we are going to allow. We set the standard for what is acceptable and what is not acceptable from our police department. We find us a police chief who also believes in, um, you know, that same vision and understands implicit bias and who is from the community um, and can relate to community members and who's willing to implement a vision that creates peace between police and, and community members and not chaos. Um, and right now, I think we have too many, uh, or I'll say, I think we have several police officers who are bad apples um, that are not being handled appropriately. And it's, it's, it's smearing the entire police department, but it all comes back to 
leadership. It all comes back to what it is our city has allowed to happen and what they've allowed to the chief to uh, to ignore. And so from my opinion, in order to foster better relationships between police and community, uh, we need to build trust. And the only way that we're gonna do that is for the community to see that police are being held accountable, just like we're held accountable when we do things wrong. This comes on the heels of the uh, Elevate question. Kai says, do you think a deterrent would be to find parents who's, uh, and she didn't say this on the back end, no. but parents who's- No, I don't because let me, let me just, um, let me just, one, I don't want to say, uh, I want to go back. My no was not, was not at the person who, at, who um, has asked the question. Um, thank you for your question. Um, however, it's just me expressing that to find the parents would not be to look at the deeper systemic issues that have caused this that have created an environment for things like this to happen in the first place, okay? Um, and sometimes, not all the time, I am not saying that parents should not take responsibility for their children's actions. I am not saying that parents should not discipline their children. Um, and I am not saying that, that uh, teens and children who do these things don't know better. I do wanna make that clear, but finding parents is not going to stop the problem because it's not just a parental issue. It's a systemic issue. We have to work to reduce the systemic harms or undo the systemic harms that we have caused in our schools and in our communities in order to see these types of things turn around. So to find parents, to lock people up, uh, that is just a Band-Aid over the issue, right? Because we'll find parents, we'll lock people up, and guess what? The next generation will do the same thing. The ones behind them will do the same thing because we're not actually speaking to the issue. We are, um, we're, you know, using pacification for the issue. Uh, and this would be last one. I'll let Chris go ahead and take some audience questions uh, on the heels of that. Uh, Barb says you're uh, we're talking statements. Uh, Barb says your platform is all uh, all about racism. What do you say to that? Um, is that a, is that asking me is my platform all about racism? Is it uh, telling me my platform is all about racism? Is it by racism? Are they asking me, is my platform all about addressing racism? Or is my platform about being, is my platform race? Like what I'm, I'm could you, I'm curious to know uh, what exactly they mean by that question. And if I could get some clarification. Uh, boy, because, I see you yes. Go ahead, Okay. Well, uh, 
We'll give that one a, a rest for a second and see if she's able to, to write in on the comments and, and give a little more specificity to it. Uh, in, in the meantime, I'm, I'm going to follow up with a question that Matt just put in there, uh, specifically on how you would fill the budget gap and fix the pension problem. The budget gap would fix the pension problem? Yeah, how, how, how you would address the, the city's longstanding, you know, fundamental imbalance in its budget and separately address the pension problem? Uh, I think in order to fill the budget gap, I think it goes back to a lot of the things that I talked about earlier in this interview about ways we need to work on growing our population, seeking uh, grants and outside funding to help us offset some of that cost um, and you know, how we're choosing to grow the capacity of startup and scalable businesses. And our pension problem is uh, a state issue. Um, one of the things that I, you know, my background is, as a community organizer, what we did often was go to Springfield, uh, meet with our legislators, um, and talk to them about the things that were important to us. So we mobilized community members. We took busloads of people uh, up to Springfield and we really put our issues on the table to legislators to get the changes and the reforms that uh, we wanted to see in our local cities. And I think that's, that is gonna be important to fixing uh, our pension problems. I think, um, you know, we should have a, a coalition of mayors that actually work on issues together here in central Illinois and actually uh, go and lobby our legislators or speak to our legislators about issues such as this. So I don't think that as a mayor or as you know an elected official in general that it's okay for us not to organize and mobilize for the resources we deserve in our community and for the policy on a state level that we need change that's hurting cities, um, small and mid-sized cities like Peoria. Okay. I, I want to press in on that real quick with a, a follow-up and then I'm going to turn it back over to Mark to throw us into the lightning round. But the, the city already, in fact, yesterday, met with, with the local legislative delegation as part of the, the city-county legislative breakfast, as they do every year. And in, in the entire time I've been covering politics in, in Peoria, one of their asks has been to address the pension problem. And you know, about two years ago, we got, got consolidation of the downstate police systems and the downstate fire systems. What what more aren't we doing? Because that, that took a coalition of mayors to get that done, and that's all that was done Persistent with it at that point. There, there, there was no there was no relief, there there was no mm -hmm. extension on yeah. on the, the time that we have to get it funded. So what what more can we do that we aren't doing? Persistency and consistency. And uh I think we're we're also missing an important element, which is community. Um, have we mobilized community members to also go and, and, and come and meet? Have we uh, partnered with other organizers, um, you know, from different uh, organizations here in Peoria to also partner and meet? Um, this is not a, it's obviously not a one and done. 
situation. And uh, the way that change really happens is not by getting something that you want and then chilling out uh, for a few years and then going back and starting the process again. It's a continuation of um, you being consistent, you building, you mobilizing, you educating community members. Because at the end of the day, legislators represent the people and they are going to do what the people who elected them is asking them to do. So if we are not getting where we need to get in the way that we need it for real relief, then we have to do the work to educate our communities and mobilize our communities. Uh, so those legislators understand that this is what the, this is also what large amounts of people want all over the state uh, to happen and they'll move. Like that's, that's, that's how you get things done. You have to have the ability to mobilize your community. What are you the mayor for? If you can't move the people who you represent, why are you the mayor? If you cannot mobilize your own community for some for resources and things that you need to happen in your city, you don't deserve to be in that position. All right. That that sounds like a good statement to, to close on and toss it over to the lightning round. Hold on, Chris. I got some questions. <laughs> Barb, Barb came back in, and then I did have one question that uh, I didn't finish up on. Um, uh, basically, it was um, all she talks about is people's race. What can we do as far as racism, as, uh, as far as the platform? I, 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 it's in here several times, so I just didn't want to skip over it. I'm sorry. The question. So essentially, um, it was a statement, and it has something to do with uh, inferring that you your rhetoric, I guess, could cause racial divide. There is that word again. Listen, addressing white supremacy, which is a thing. I know it makes people uncomfortable to talk about race and the things that that uh, is happening in our country and that has been happening for uh, hundreds of years here. I know it makes people uncomfortable, but just because we're not talking about it and addressing it doesn't mean that it's gonna go away. It's gonna magically disappear. Um, the reason why I talk about racism and the reason why I talk about the effects of white supremacy on communities is because it's literally, it literally has decimated whole communities and it needs to change. I am not sure why this, like why talking about something we can all see, a lot of us feel and, and a lot of us choose to ignore, like why we, why talking about it um, makes people uncomfortable. This is something that has been a problem in America. This is something that, uh, you know, our ancestors fought for, uh, both black and white. You know what I mean? Like th these are uh, issues that have existed for hundreds of years that need to stop and be eradicated. And the only way that's gonna happen is if we acknowledge that it exists, if we have conversations about it, and if we work on a systemic level through policy to undo it. So if my platform 
speaks too much about uh, addressing racism, I don't, I don't think that that is a thing. You can't speak too much about addressing racism because this country was built on racism. Racism is woven into the DNA of every single policy that we have in this country, and it is ruining communities. So how can I not have a platform that talks about eliminating this from our communities and from our societies when this is the foundation and what it was built on? I think that answers that. Um, and last question before we head into the lightning round, you have a saying on Facebook um, that has been a part of uh, your campaign graphics. It says the middle of the road is a poor place to walk. It is a poor place to drive. It is a poor place to live. It is a poor position for a candidate to take. Explain why you think it is wrong for a candidate to take the middle road. Um, and isn't that just a part about helping promote compromise? Uh, what did Martin Luther King Jr. say? I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, misquote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, so I'm going to look it up. But he spoke specifically um, about the moderates. Um, and he talked about how they are more detrimental to the cause for civil rights, and they're more detrimental to the movement than any than the KKK. Because what they do by being lukewarm, you are not necessarily addressing the issue, right? But you're not fighting for an issue either. And so you're, you're just in the middle hindering progress. Right. You're, you're not going one way or the other. You're not making a decision one way or the other. So when we talk about middle of the road and being moderate, it's not that this means that you can't bring two sides together and come to a consensus. I've been a coalition organizer um, and that's basically what I did. I brought community and union organizations together to work on issues year round to build political power throughout central Illinois and throughout the state. So I know firsthand how to get people who disagree on certain issues to find a commonality, to work together and accomplish things on a political level um, and get poli and win policy uh, stances for our community. So I understand that, but you still have to take a position. And when you are not uh, willing to take a position any which way, you hinder progress. And, um, you know, that quote in part was because of what, what Dr. Martin Luther King said in his letter from uh, Birmingham jail when he talked about how uh, moderates, ha you know, are worse than the KKK and have hindered the progress for the civil rights movement. Thank you for answering that question, Sean. We're going to go into the lightning round. Uh, and of course, if you remember anything, that the lightning round is, of course, sponsored by McCall Law Offices PC and Halliday McCall, located at 1225 North North Street, where they focus on personal injury, accidents, family law, and criminal defense. They hold, they do the whole thing, man. Call for a free consultation at 309-948-5908 to put their attorneys 
in your corner. Shout out so to you're you're familiar with the lightning round. Uh, I can't remember if you made the time last time or not, but we're going to shoot for it. You already know. Either or, quick answer. I'm going to put a minute 30 up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bang. Okay. Keisha Cole or Ashanti? Ashanti. Why did Nelly not claim Ashanti? He's a fool. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Michael <laughs> Michael I'm sorry. Jackson. What did you say? Michael Jackson or Prince? Uh, Michael Jackson. Mac or PC? Mac. What app takes up the most uh, time of your day? Facebook. What food do you love that everybody else hates? Nothing. Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey? Janet Jackson. Favorite location in Peoria? Euphoria Ariel Arson Dance Studio. I, I should have known. Martin or Fresh Prince? Uh, Fresh Prince. Lion King or Aladdin? Lion King. Favorite local restaurant? Uh, I like favorite local restaurant. I like all of the fish joints and One World Cafe. What was the last one? One World Cafe and all of one the world. fish joints. Yeah. Um, three words that describe Peoria? Uh, three words that describe Peoria. Uh, progressive and uh, young, millennial, and uh, changing. Uh, three, um, um, it's wintertime, lotion or Vaseline? Dang. Uh, Vaseline mixed with lotion. <laughs> okay, and um, you got you to gotta wrap these last ones up. Cash money or, lo or no limit? Cash money. Candles or incense? Candles. Drums or flats? Flats. Who do you endorse for city council? Who do I endorse? Peter Kovac, Lawrence Mouchard, Andre Allen. I have we to go like one. Oh, uh, Denise, Denise Jackson. We got some answers, Chris. This is the first one. Finally, finally. <laughs> some yeah, because we, we got to change the council. So I'm not, I ain't trying to play politics. This is not a game. People need to get out and vote and they need to know to vote for the right people. Anyways, right. I didn't hear you. I was going to say any last words before we bring in Diaz. Oh, yes. Uh, make sure you vote Shama St. Louis for mayor. Um, if you want to see accountability on the council, if you are looking to see some much needed changes um, and to have fresh, new, innovative ideas, I am the person that needs to be added to the council. Uh, it doesn't make sense to shuffle chairs um, and vote someone who is already on the council to be mayor when you can add another innovative voice um, and we can really work together to change our city. Um, voting day is February 23rd, but you can vote now until then. And you can follow me on social media. And my website is my name, shamastlouis.com. Thank you. All right, Shama, thank you for being on with us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So actually, you know, this was a, a really good, relaxing interview. Um, thank you for doing this. I was able to get my thoughts out. I didn't feel rushed. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate you two for uh, coming together and, and doing this for the community. Thank you.
All right. And we are now going to be joined momentarily by Andres Diaz, who is also running for Peoria mayor. And Adam, if we've got him and can bring him in. Mr. Diaz, thank you for being here. Thank you for, for being patient. I know we promised you we'd be starting a couple of minutes ago, but uh, thank equal you for time. joining us. Equal, <laughs> hey, we're here for equal time. You're going to get it all out, man. We're here for equal time. There you go. Welcome, I appreciate it. Welcome to the State of Pure. If you're just now tuning in, it's brought to you by State Farm Agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, where he specializes in car insurance, home insurance, life insurance, and investments. He's the best in the business, and you can make him work for you today by calling 309-685-7111. Diaz! What's going on, man? How are you guys doing tonight? We're Great. good. We're Great. good. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous interview, we've already done this. Um, we, we did the grilling. Uh, I'm going to be more uh, relaxed as, as far as allowing people to get to know who Diaz is. I can't speak for Chris, though, but it is what it is. <laughs> we won't talk about hat ads tonight. How about that? <laughs> Man, we ain't going to hat ads tonight, dog. <laughs> we are not going to hat ads tonight. Um, but you took part in, uh, you graciously took part in the in-person, I think it was the only in-person debate uh, amongst uh, council and mayoral candidates in Pure for this election last week at Pure High School Auditorium, the best high school in the city. I stand by it. Um, uh, what did you think of the debate? How do you think you did? And uh, what is what is the feedback been like since then? I think it was great. I actually really enjoy um, being face to face with people. Uh, it also gave us all a chance to to showcase who we are and the difference between uh, those who aren't on the council and those who are, uh, because you saw the infighting and the bickering that went on with the council members. And so it gives people an opportunity to say, you know what, maybe we do need a different kind of leader because the people that were already on the council can't seem to even uh, get their story straight. And they didn't really offer anything, right? We continue to hear the same kind of platitudes, but from those who aren't on the council, you actually heard policy ideas. You actually heard whether you agree with them or not, right? You actually heard ideas and ways that we would bring change. One of the questions was, you know, where is the city falling short? Everybody has an answer for that. The follow-up was, how do you do something about it? How would you do it? And I believe only two candidates really answered how you would do it, and I was one of those. So um, it was awesome because the forums have been okay, uh, but there isn't a chance for that back and forth and for somebody to actually say, hold up, right? You're saying this, but what have you actually done with your time on the council or, or um, in your actions. And actions should speak louder than words. And I think I, I'll, I will say after those, the, that forum uh, and the, the last couple of weeks with the printings with the Journal Star, um, the wind is at my back. I mean, we are getting contacted by folks um, left and right trying to, to, to offer help and, and to say that they appreciate somebody who's knowledgeable on policy, who comes prepared, and who knows what they're talking about. You announced your candidacy uh, early on, uh, much like uh, the others, except for three of them. Uh, three of them uh, came out a little bit later. What has been your experience like? What has been the biggest hurdle, you think, getting your message out since you announced um, back last year? It's the name recognition. Uh, you know, so many people are just used to the same folks doing the same things. And when a new name gets thrown out like Diaz, 
um, people are like, oh, I, I don't know, who's that guy, right? And then as they investigate who I am, um, they they realize I'm the same guy, um, whether it's in a forum like this, in private, I'm an honest politician, which you don't find too often. We're, I'm a unicorn, I guess. Um, but it's, it's getting that name recognition and having people understand that the way we have run City Hall for the last 16 years has not offered change. And it's really not how government should work. When you have uh, city council members and the mayor uh, acting as department heads and getting the city manager to do things that have cost us millions of dollars in lawsuits, you realize that maybe we're not doing government right here. Uh, we're not talking uh, about policy at city council. Uh, we're not actually addressing what needs to be addressed. We're, we're just having meetings and sometimes it's long meetings, but nothing gets accomplished, right? Over the last 10 months with COVID, we've seen that we, when the city manager comes back with a recommendation, instead of taking any action, all we do is punt for another two weeks, which costs us a lot of money in payroll and uh, expenses when we don't have that money to spare. So to me, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's trying to get our name out and, and having people understand that having myself with 20 plus years of experience working with government, that I see a way that we can better uh, run this city with better leadership. I want to ask one more question about Pastor Dr. Chris. Uh, you brought up something interesting that I was actually asking a lot of people about, asked Pat Yurick and Jim Morris about it. Um, but you brought it back up as far as the council and the mayor acting as department heads. But as far as city government works, isn't that roundabout what we got here? I know there's a big confusion about who's actually in charge, and there's a ton of overlap between city manager, mayor, and council, and oftentimes there's a question of who the heck is in charge, but the council and the mayor, aren't they really essentially the department heads and your city manager executes, or, or how do you view it? No, no, that's exactly the problem, right? In fact, we saw it at the debate the other night. We have a candidate who has convinced people that you can have, you can be a full-time mayor and maybe make extra money or turn down extra money. We have a CEO. Patrick Urich is the CEO of the city. If we don't like what's going on, it's not for the city council members to go in and yell at public works and tell them to go plow this street or to go find this uh, homeowner or landlord. That's the city manager's job. We need to set policy, right? We need to say, hey, grass shouldn't be taller than 10 inches. And then the city manager has to make sure that uh, the department head over uh, community development has his code enforcement officers out there. And when someone has grass that's over 10 inches, that we take care of it, right? And, and as city council members, what we have seen over the past, and this started years ago, this is not new, right? But you had city council members going in, berating staff, uh, making City Hall kind of a toxic environment so that staff is is afraid to take action or do their jobs. And the city manager is a great soldier. But when you have a great soldier, you have to have a good general. You have to have someone leading the charge. So the city manager is the one who actually worked with our police chief to go in and raid a private citizen's home uh, over a Twitter uh, tweet, 
right? And it cost the city nearly a million dollars in legal fees and and um, the settlement and, and the time and effort that went into it, right? The mayor can't call the police chief and make him do anything. It has to go through the city manager. So we as the board, right, as the city council, we can set direction. We can say, man, we really don't like that. But the proper way for it to be is the mayor needs to set the tone and say, hey, council member, you don't go in and, and direct staff. That's the city manager's job. And if we don't like what's going on, that's our opportunity to judge the city manager and how he's managing his department. It's not for us to jump in there because you don't know or I don't know what the staff is working on on a daily basis. We don't know if they're underfunded or or have spare time to go take up your pet project. That's not how it's supposed to work. And so then when we have council members acting as department heads, we end up with projects like, well, the, the Western Avenue Aldi purchase, right? We wasted staff members' time as well as taxpayer money because we put a deposit on that building to buy it, and it fell through. But it was being pushed by a council member getting staff to work on something that wasn't a priority, wasn't within any plans that we had. But because they wanted to get reelected, they went and pushed some narrative about bringing a grocery store to the South End. And it just doesn't work. It makes us waste money, time, and resources. We need to have a CEO. Uh, the city manager saying, hey, you know, I appreciate that that's your uh, direction that you want us to take. You need to bring that up within the council. The council then has to say, yes, go spend the money, go execute on that plan. And that's what should happen. But it's not been going on like that. And that's why I think we have so many inefficiencies and we've been losing and bleeding money uh, for years. So your one word answer real quick, who's in charge when it comes to the city? Who's in charge? The city manager. So vision, execution, leadership, city manager? No, the vision should come from the council and from the residents of Peoria, right? And we come in as the what is, what is the mayor? The mayor is the chief visionary officer, right? He is the chairman of the board. He gets to lead the meetings and bring all of the other council members together and say, hey, guys, what is it that we want in this city? What's that five-year, 10-year, 20-year vision for the community? We get that input from uh, the residents of the city. For me, I talk about having forums and, um, and bringing people together, right, and getting that feedback. And then the city manager needs to implement that plan. So I always bring it back to like Caterpillar, where I work, or any any company, right? They have a board of directors that don't work within uh, that company. And if there's an issue at that company, you don't go to the board of directors and complain when, you know, there's not enough marshmallows in your Lucky Charms. You go to the CEO, you go to that product manager, you go to the manager on that product line, and you have that discussion. The chairman of the board and the board members really need to focus on the big picture and the vision. And if they're hearing those complaints, they need to go to the city manager and say, hey, we're getting a lot of complaints that you're not following through on whatever objective we set forth. And then we rate him on that. We either keep him or we ask him, you know, 
is there another place that maybe you want to be because you're not following through on what we want you to do? But the city manager should know what his staff is fully burdened with. He should know what they're at, uh, working on and what the priorities are from the city council and then making that happen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about that outreach component that, that you mentioned, you know, you, you've, uh, you've suggested uh, that, that you want a lot more of that on, on broad city subjects, on, on proposed developments, things like that. And, and I want to know, cause I, I've seen a lot of city forums over the years, you know, whether we call it a, a, a forum, a community meeting, my favorite is a charrette, which near as I can tell is a meeting. Uh, <laughs> what aren't we doing there that we should be by, by way of, of soliciting input for people? We're not following through, right? So when I first moved back to Peoria four years ago, um, we were having those forums because uh, the Wall Street 24-7 report had come out and everybody was aghast, right? They, they feigned uh, like they didn't know that there was problems before the, the city then put on all of these meetings um, in the South End to, to try to engage people. And I attended those. They were very well attended. People came up with actionable items requesting that, uh, you know, we have some after school programs, things that actually um, have happened in the last year that could have been implemented years ago, like the lights, uh, lights on Peoria and, and things like that. But you had, it was a multifaceted approach. It wasn't just what can the city do, but what are we missing, right? And, and you had all those people, you had that positive momentum. People thought we were going to take uh, a chance on doing something. And after those meetings were over, there was no follow through. There was one request for uh, follow up and feedback, and then it died. Right. So if it, it, it's the story of our city, we pay tens of thousands of dollars or more to third party companies to come in and host meetings, to come in and um, you know give us a plan for MacArthur Highway or whatever project. We take that and we put it on a shelf and let it collect dust. And six months, a year later, somebody comes along with something new and shiny and we invest in that. And it has nothing to do with what everybody in the community just was told we're going to do. Uh, again, I'll fall back on that Western Avenue project. Literally within the last year, we paid a developer um, over $60,000 to come up with a MacArthur Highway plan. In that plan, they had a grocery store. In that plan, we committed a million dollars of city funds to get a grocery store, commerce, housing, all this started. And then, for whatever reason, Aldi's became the place that we were going to open up a grocery store that's on Western. It has nothing to do with MacArthur Highway, but we were going to invest half a million dollars and $100,000 a year to have a staff person there running a community center, um, gar uh, grocery store, LeBron James hangout place. And it's not in line with anything that we've told the citizens that we're going to do. So if, if you're going to have meetings, if you're going to have forums, you have to have the follow through. 
If not, it's understandable why we get less than 10% of the population to get out and vote because they're tired of meetings. They're tired of forums. They're tired of, of politicians telling them, I want to hear what you have to say and then not doing anything about the, the problems that are brought to them or, or the requests that are brought along uh, as part of those meetings. So whether it's this is this is more than of, of we have to actually take those actions we have to, to follow through on on some of these plans rather than than stick it in the the vault along with the ark of the covenant at the end of Indiana Jones and, exactly. and if 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 we do that a couple of times people will start to believe they'll start to engage because that that that's my my other issue is some of these forums that the the city has held over the years certainly the ones that followed twenty four seven were were among the highest turnout that that I've seen in in my time in Peoria, you know, we we got got rooms at the Civic Center filled with people for that one, but then they contrast with with some of the day to day governing efforts and, and forums where and and I don't know if you were at one of these, but when when the city asked for input on okay, what are the spending priorities on this budget? What are the things that we need to do and need to not do? We had forums in every district, and and at every single one of them, there were more city staff people who attended them than there were ordinary residents. So is it is it just follow through that that's going to suddenly turn people on to participating in city government? Well, it's finding those small successes, and and those those small successes actually then start engaging more people, right? So it's a domino effect. Because you're right. Uh, there are times when we have more staff at a meeting uh, than residents, but it's because uh, so many people have been turned off over the years over what we'll do or won't do after those meetings. And part of it, we don't set real expectations, right? So you hear candidates talking about, um, we need better education. Well, that's great. Go run for school board. This is for, this election is for the mayor. And the mayor has to worry about roads, police, fire, you know, the, the core city services, because that's where we're at with a lean budget. We don't have the money to go off and, and start opening up education centers run by the city. And, and quite honestly, that's out of our lane. We have to understand that and we have to then bring in the right people. So if we're going to have a forum it can't just be the city having a forum on uh, education. We need to make sure that the school board is engaged and that they're there and that they're committed to following through. Um, so, you know, when it comes to what we can impact, we have to follow through on what we're telling people uh, at these meetings. We have to set clear expectations of what is within scope or what can be done by the city. And then who we can hold accountable for the other issues, right? So I talk about, we had the legislative breakfast this last week, right? So one time a year, we bring in state and federal and, and all of our local uh, politicians and tell them what our wish list is. And, and they give us a short report out on kind of what they're working on, right? Why, and, and my, my proposal would be that that happens more regularly and in front of city council, right? Because if we don't hold our federal officials accountable, they can bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in, in federal funds. But if it doesn't help us in what our plan is, 
if you know our plan is to to go that way and they bring us all kinds of money to go this way well is it worth taking that money right it may not be helping us and we have to understand that and they have to understand it and the citizens of Peoria have to understand what we're asking for we're asking for 10 million dollars for a new parking deck down in in the warehouse district now if there's free money going around, I'm not against taking free money if, if it helps the cause. But we have to look at it and say, the reason people want to live in the warehouse district, what we sell that as, is it's urban living. It's not about having your car out front or in the garage next door to your building. That's not what warehouse living and, and that's not what that is supposed to be about. So if we can get that $10 million dollars, and put it towards maybe demolishing Harrison uh, School, that's a better use of the money that then moves us towards the goal of a safe neighborhood uh, that's clean, environmentally friendly, that doesn't have health issues uh, that will impact the community. So uh, it really is, it's, it's having a plan, it's holding other people accountable, as well as holding officials like myself or, or anyone else who gets elected into office and saying, you promised us this and you haven't done it, vote vote me out, right? Like, hold me accountable. But don't, don't use some excuse of, oh, that guy tried when uh, they never had a public conversation about it. They never uh, brought those issues to the council floor. Uh, it doesn't count if you only say it to somebody in private and you never take action and show people that you're actually working towards some end goal. Okay. I, I got one more and then I'm going to toss it back to, to Mark, but I, I want to know specifically, and I'm going to ask this a little different than, than we did with, with Ms. St. Louis, but uh, what, what, what are the Diaz infrastructure priorities for the city of Peoria? You, you just outlined that, that, you know, perhaps you wouldn't spend the money on, on the parking deck rather than, than Harrison. But you know, when, when you're faced with, with, city streets all over the city that that need work with sidewalks that that haven't been fixed in eons and in, in some cases with you know there's been discussion over the last couple of years on on autonomous vehicle uh, experimenting in, in the city you know, what are the things that that you would try to put our limited city money toward and specific priorities that that you would go after state money or federal money to work on well, so that's what our capital improvement plan is all about, right? If, if you don't know, you can, for anyone watching, you can go to the city website and start looking up the capital improvement project. And you can see what we have set for road and infrastructure projects for the next like 20 years, right? And, and if we don't like what those are, then that's where, again, getting out and vote, voting and electing people who will tell you that, yes, we will put more money into sidewalks versus streets or, or anything like that is key to, to turning out in an election. But we have to sit there and look at our capital improvement plan and say, this is the priority and really truly prioritize. And so some of that for me, it is, it's having safe streets. It's having streets where when you drive, drive down the road, you don't need a hard hat uh, because there are potholes. In fact, I came from, uh, uh, Lakeview this evening, uh, coming home from a meeting, and uh, there are potholes like a foot deep that when you hit them, it's it's crazy. And I get it, it's snow, it's the freeze thaw and all that, but if we don't have the money in our budget then, uh, 
that when the weather gets good uh, or a little bit nicer, we can go fill that with a cold patch. There's a problem. We need to make sure that the money is there versus the, you know, $5,000 or more that we spent uh, holding a building on Western Avenue that had no relation to anything else in our capital plan. So for me, it's actually in looking at every expenditure and making sure that when we promise taxpayers that, again, we have a dedicated uh, line of funds for the roads that happened, you know, in the last uh, five years or so um, that we spend it on roads. We passed a rainwater fee, uh, you know, the, the runoff fee. And at the last city council meeting, the city council spent $15,000 of that rainwater fee on a fire department. I'm not against fire departments. I love fire departments. I live down the street from one. I want to put fires out. But if I promise you, if you give me money that I'll spend it on X and I spend it on Z, that's a problem. I'm a liar. And that's what we have in some of our of our elected officials and our administration. They have promised us something and they're not fulfilling on their promise. So we have to take that and and be righteously indignant about it. The city of Peoria has failed us. And, and every time we the city of Peoria puts a new fee, fine, or tax on us, and then doesn't spend that money as they've told us they will, by God, we should all be down at City Hall. We should all be questioning what's going on. And we should all be angry. And if you see, we're not. Or we would have higher voter turnout. We would have higher engagement but they hide it. If you look at the, the way that money was put in there, you have to understand how to go in and look at Granicus and, and pull up the agenda item and pull up the details. And most people have jobs, have children, have other commitments. They just want government to work for them. And it's not, because if it was, we would have decent streets, we would have uh, sufficient firefighters and police officers, uh, and then we'd actually have a growing community because all of the core services, the basic things that you expect out of government, if they were firing on all cylinders, people would say, wow, that Peoria is a pretty cool place. And they'd move here because it is affordable. It is on the river. It is like it offers all of the amenities of a big city with that small town feel. You can go to the grocery store and run into a friend. You can do all that kind of stuff in town. Uh, and we can have that, but we've got to hold people accountable uh, with our money. And we have done a very poor job of that. If you're just now tuning in the state of Peoria, this is interview number two for tonight in our sixth installment of the uh, interview series. This is Andres Diaz, who is running to be Peoria's next mayor. So if you're just now tuning in, throw your questions in the comments. We're going to get to them earlier this time around, though. I probably will get to them earlier this time around. Uh, and, and part of my smirk, I was looking at the comments and I got stuck and somebody said they hit a pothole so deep, it changed the radio station. <laughs> if you've written down Reservoir, you know exactly what that's about. You know exactly what that's about. Um, and that's one of the, the streets we, we might need to find a permanent fix to. But as I keep listening to you, um, I can't help but thinking about previous conversations I've had with other people that have watched the interviews that have that, that have heard you speak. And they say, I know Diaz is running for mayor, which, uh, but to me, he sounds like a city manager. What do you say to that? People that, that see you in that life. 
that if you can't vote for me as a mayor, maybe the next mayor can hire me as the city manager. Uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I think that's why I am the best candidate for this for this job as mayor is because I understand it at that level. I mean, I spent six years working for the Regional Planning Commission, providing the data, doing the studies, doing the work that drove policy. So I understand it at that level. And I talk about it at that level because if you go and deal with the city manager or or city council members, there's two different approaches, right? A city council member they think that they sometimes think they're department heads or that they need to be the savior of our small business or our residents. I look at it and I say, no, I should be able to call a de- the accounts receivable department and get my paperwork filed. I shouldn't need to call my mayor or city council member to get that done. So like I see it that way. I, I would lead with that, with that in mind and it would change the way that we operate as a council when you have somebody who's actually leading the the discussions and actually setting a tone that understands government, right? And and that's where I think we sometimes find our biggest obstacles is that we have elected city council members and 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 mayors that have taken it upon themselves to think that they should be running the city. And I look at it and say, no, I should be managing the city manager. And if I don't like what's going on there, I understand the process and how we change things and we do it that way. So, um, you know, I appreciate the compliment that that people would trust me as the city manager. Um, I would I would appreciate your vote to be mayor uh, first and foremost, uh, because I think it's the really it's that tone from the top and setting that vision that I bring, uh, because as city manager, if, if I was city manager, I can have a vision um, of, you know, a, a cool hip place to be in Peoria and the riverfront and all this. But if the council's on a totally different page, I've got to follow their direction. And, and so that's why it is important to have a mayor and a leader that understands how government's supposed to work so that we follow through and we actually do it the right way so that we can see change. Because if we don't understand how it's done, we'll continue to get the results that we have, which is declining population, uh, higher taxes and fees, and, and no real change because they're not utilizing government to its fullest. When we talk about that three-headed monster of, you know, the mayor, the city council, which is essentially one, but you can split them into two, and then you got the city manager, and then you look at the state of Peoria currently, and you mentioned the decline of the last 16 years, and I don't know if it was indicative of the mayor or not, but who do you think shoulders the blame for the, largely shoulders the blame for the decline over the last, say, five to 10 years? I'd say our city council, because if what we see is a decline and we don't offer any new direction... That's our fault. That's the city council's fault, right? If, and this is the problem, and, and I've brought it up in past forums, how we rate our city manager, what kind of goals we set for him are important. Now, I call them smart goals. They're strategic, they're measurable, action-oriented, uh, results-driven, timely. You know, it's, it's an acronym that we use at work. Um, But if we don't set a goal that says that we need to have, um, you know, 
X percent of people employed um, of color or that we have these amount of roads fixed or whatever, then he can do whatever he wants as the city manager. And we can never say he didn't do his job because we didn't set a goal that says we want uh, forums to be acted upon. And the city allows that to happen. The city council has allowed that to happen. If you believe over the last couple years that the city has gone in the right direction, then the city manager has earned every raise that he's gotten over the last few years, right? There was even a discussion, I don't know, Chris, you may be able to time check me. It was like two or three years ago when we forced the city manager to take a raise. I think what that means is that he recognized he was not necessarily uh, overseeing a great work product and he didn't want to take the money because he didn't earn it. But the city council, the mayor in particular, thought he was doing a great job because he did exactly as he told him to do. Go and knock down the door of a guy and arrest him for making fun of me. Go and do this, right? And we never said, man, that was a boneheaded decision. And that's not just the fault of the city manager, but the mayor and and the fact that the council went along with it. Right. Like no one holds anybody accountable. And it's I call it Midwest nice. Right. No one wants to to call somebody out because, wow, you know, they're a good person. I'm not saying that any city council person or the city manager is a bad person. I'm just saying that sometimes if we don't call each other out on boneheaded moves and bad decisions, then we're never going to change. And, and that Midwestern nice is not going to work for us in the future if we can't get people to move here and we don't have a tax base to support the 50 square miles that we have become. We've got to work on that and change that. That's, that's a goal that we can set on the city manager in terms of, um, you know, the amount of uh, new construction permits that go out, the amount, the, the speed in which we approve building permits or zoning applications, uh, or the amount of time it takes for us to respond to a resident of the city of Peoria. You can't just ignore residents of Peoria. I, I had this discussion with a council member this week, and he said, well, Andy, you know, I think, uh, I think there's just a misunderstanding, and, you know, the city manager didn't email you back on that because you just don't understand the, the situation, and, and he can't answer it. That's a that may be a perfectly reasonable answer to the situation. But if you never send me a note and say, hey, Mr. Diaz, I got your note. I can't answer that question uh, because it's a, a legal matter and we can't discuss it. Then what you've told me is that I'm not valuable, that my voice, that my concern is not even worth the time to respond and say, hey, I got your note. I can't respond. And we have that. And it's not just people like, you know, uh, a normal guy like me uh, who's seeing this. But I've heard this from CEOs in our in, in our city who are not getting responses back from the city manager or from city staff, or it takes them forever to get things done. That's problematic. If you want to bring in 100 new businesses, you've got to be able to answer back those 100 new businesses when they say, hey, where's the form to get my zoning certificate? Where's the form or where's the what's the process to get this done? And if we don't respond back to them, well, maybe they'll move on. They won't buy that piece of land and develop it because 
It takes us so long to get back to them. And that's where I want to bring change. I want to make sure that as a smart goal for the city manager and for our staff, that they're getting back to residents within 48 hours. That will make a difference. There are people who are waiting on zoning certificates, on transfer applications, on a host of, of licenses, and they just don't hear back. And that can cost them money. It can cost them an opportunity in terms of if a land um, is no longer available because it took so long to get the deal done uh, or because they couldn't file the right paperwork when they uh, purchased a piece of land. And now it costs them time and money and legal fees to get that zoning certificate applied. So we've got to change how we interact with people and, and what we are doing as the city to welcome folks and to be more responsive to them. That forced raise was in 2019, by the way, March of 2019 on a 7-3 vote by the council. Thank you. That's why we got Chris here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if anybody was wondering at all, that that's why I got him. That's why I got him. <laughs> um, uh, week two of the State of Peoria interview series, we interviewed Pat Urich, city manager, and he says that he'd like to stay on as city manager with the next mayor. If you're elected mayor, do you keep them or no? Well, I can't fire any employee. Uh, it takes the council vote. I think we're going to set some goals. We're going to set some expectations. And if he chooses not to meet those expectations or doesn't want those goals, then he can choose to leave. And if he wants to take on that challenge and actually, you know, then be rated on that work, then – and and from the sounds of it, right, the majority of the council likes the work he's doing. They gave him a raise just a couple weeks ago. So I think I would be hard-pressed to say, oh, yeah, I can fire him. But as the mayor, I can start to set smart goals. I can start to set expectations. And if he doesn't meet them, then we're going to have that public discussion because it's no longer about employee and, and the right to a private uh, review. It's a matter of living up to the promise I'm making to you as citizens of Peoria that we are going to have open dialogue and we are going to change how this city works and we are going to make it a place that's a great place to live and that's thriving again. Well, and, and just, just just so we're clear, um, you did mention that, you know, the council is in charge and the city manager acts as essentially the hitman of the council to execute whatever the council asks them to execute. And I think you kind of said he was doing a good job. And it's He's more so. He's a good soldier, right? If I tell you to march off that cliff and you march off that cliff, by God, you're, you're a good soldier. The mayor told him to march down to, to one police plaza and get a guy uh, for making fun of him. He did it. That's a great soldier to me, right? So if, if, if he's willing to take the orders when I come in and say, you're going to get back to residents and, and people within 48 hours, I don't want to hear excuses, and he does it, then yeah, keep so him around. If off, so if he goes off a cliff with you, you'll keep him. Oh, you're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shoot to you, Chris, and uh, we can get to some audience questions a little bit earlier so we can get them in. If you have any questions, um, get them into the comments. We're going to ask them shortly. Thank you for tuning in to State of Peoria. All right. Uh, let, let's talk about a couple of quick more policy things first and then uh, jump over to some of the other questions. Uh, 
you've talked in, in your questionnaire to us about wanting to see some cosmetic improvements as a start to helping raise overall values in, in heritage neighborhoods. The older neighborhoods throughout the city, we're, we're talking first district, second district, third district neighborhoods, primarily there. Uh, and, and the idea is that the cosmetic improvements help spark additional business growth and stability there. You live in the North Valley, so so use that region as an example of how specifically it would work in a neighborhood like that. Well, we've seen it, right? Like I've actually done the work. Uh, if you come down to the North Valley, um, we live right off Spring Street, right around the corner from the North Valley Farmers Market that we started up a couple years ago. We started planting flowers. We started uh, edging the grass. We started mowing the lawns that we bought from the county trustee and planting gardens. And in the last couple of years, we've now seen neighbors who start fixing up their houses, who start putting uh, more into the landscaping, who start taking care of their properties a little bit more. Because for as much as as people don't want to chase each other, you know, and, and uh, keep up with the Joneses, there is a certain amount of, of just that personal pride when, you know, your neighbor's place is starting to look good and you don't want to be the, the guy with the ugly house on the block you start to see that change. And so we've seen that, um, whether it be here in, in our block where we've, we have 30% uh, vacancy rate here in the North Valley. That's according to the cities last year uh, when they gave their affordable housing report. So 30% of my neighborhood is vacant houses and lots. And when we start, we started Urban Acres and taking over some of those vacant lots and instead of letting them get out of control and looking ugly, uh, we mowed them. We planted gardens. Uh, we've done that there on the corner of Spring Street. We have actually kept up and made Urban Acres and the Diaz family follow through and did the work that the city said that they would do when they started making pocket parks within the community. They didn't live up to their commitment. They didn't mow the lots. It was looking like garbage. So I went over and I started mowing it. And then people came down and they hung out and they bought tacos and went over and sat in that lot and uh, started having lunch there. And it made it more appealing. So people hung out at the market longer. We can do all of this um, with our HUD and our CDBG dollars. And we have a process. And this is like why I say it's all about process and it's all about policy. So there is a way that you can offer comment every year on the way the city is going to spend the CDBG, which is community development block grants, HUD, the housing and urban development dollars, and home funds um, to, to reinvest into your community. And the way it works now is city staff puts together the document, they, do, they check the box and have public input, but they never make a change to what we're doing. So what I talk about is instead of giving one organization all of our home funds, which is essentially to to house people uh, and give them affordable housing, we give to one organization and we built four houses. Uh, if we were to take that money and put it into 25 houses and work with the home homeowners uh, there in, in the South End, the East Bluff, the North Valley, wherever, and start making an impact on 20 or 30 houses a year, imagine the change that could happen. Instead, we look at it and say, oh, well, we're just gonna give it to one nonprofit and roll the dice with them. And it's, again, there's no plan, there's no long-term vision. 
on what that impact will be on the neighborhood. And so we don't see that sense of positive, we don't feel that sense of positive momentum. And so that's where, when I talk about policy, it really is. We're going to take public comment on things like our, our long-term comprehensive plan. And we're going to see on where we can make changes and where we can implement some, some of the requested changes so that we are responsive to the citizens of Peoria. Not just somebody who maybe has an idea at City Hall, but somebody who has an idea at City Hall who then flushes that idea out and grows it with the input of residents of, of the city and of the neighborhoods um, so that we actually see positive change. Okay. I want to ask you one more, and then we're going to jump over to questions. So, again, get those in the chat. Uh, you've been pretty critical of city hall, city government, even the actions actions or inactions of the, the city council over, over the last number of years. If, if you're elected, you're going to be sitting around the horseshoe with, with a, well, at, at least five of those people because the at-larges aren't up for, for election this time. And if you win, you will have beaten two of those, two of those five people. <laughs> the magic number on city council is six to get any of these things done that, that you want to do and, and to be able to implement any policy. How do you approach any of these changes in, in a way that gets you to six votes with the people who are sitting around the horseshoe? Well, if you saw the Peoria Magazine article, uh, I took some heat from that um, from some current city council members because I called them uh, the do-nothing council. Well, and actually, I shouldn't say I didn't call them that. I channeled the words of former, Jim, um, former Mayor Jim Maloof on when he ran in the 80s and called the city council the do-nothing council because of the amount of boarded up buildings, vacant lots, and the inaction taken, taking place at City Hall. And I've read a lot of the, the background, and, and he, was, uh, he was reported that the first couple months, he was an unpopular guy. The key is, is that he went out and worked the community, right? He made sure that people within the community knew that he was trying to drive positive change, what his plans were, what he needed help on, and so then you're able to go, and it's not me winning over a, a city council person. It's that city council person being told by their constituents that this is a good idea, and it's me engaging the city and residents to call their city council person and say, hey, why are you wasting $15,000 of the CSO funds on a fire station instead of on the, the CSO problem, right? So to get to those six votes, you've got to actually not just – encourage those council members, but you've got to drive their constituents to demand change from them. And, and I think that's what we saw with Jim Maloof is that he knew where the votes were. Don't get me wrong. I'm, but a lot of that is the change that once he, he was in power, once he was um, out running the city and, and communicating with people, he was able to get people excited about the city. He was, he was able to, to be the, the silly, charismatic guy that he was, which then brought people around to say, man, I can deal with him. I can do anything here if this guy's our mayor. And we did see an uptick. I, there was a, something shared around the Christmas time that um, as mayor, uh, we were compared to New York City and that we were going to be uh, their rival and that, uh, you know, Mayor Maloof, wrote Ed uh, Koch a note uh, 
uh, you know, and, and, and joked with him and brought that kind of relationship and that mood back to Peoria, right? That's what the mayor is supposed to be. The mayor is supposed to be a cheerleader and somebody that brings the best out of all of us. That's what I think I do, right? Is that I try to bring the best and the positive things out of all of us because it's not about being Latino and just bringing power to Latinos or to minorities. There's plenty of other minorities. The the Asian uh, Indian American community is, is growing here in Peoria. They want to be engaged. They want to know how they can help. There are people in far north Peoria, you know, that they want to know what they can do in different parts of the city to help bring about positive change. One of the organizations I've helped out a lot over the last couple of years is Peoria Grown. And that was started and is run by concerned residents of Peoria who then engaged the hospital staff, some nurses, some nursing students, and they opened up their own little pop-up grocery store. Uh, it's going to be on Saturday down there at Logan Center where they provide fresh produce to folks down in the South End. Instead of complaining about there not being a grocery store, instead of saying, woe is me, life is horrible, they took it upon themselves. They didn't do it with government funds. They did it with their own hard work, determination, and private funds to actually make a difference in the community. And if you look at that group, they've got every color under the rainbow helping them out. And, and so we need to then highlight them and, and get them more help and get them engaged so that we can continue to see these, these little wins that then turn into a better narrative that say there are people in town that care about the least of us. They don't just say that they used to live in the hood and they got out. They actually say, you know, I'm going to invest back in my neighborhood. And that's where I think I am different, right? I grew up in this neighborhood. I left. I found success in life. I'm living the American dream. Um, they, I moved around the world. I moved to one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, Frisco, Texas. I lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And then when we came back here, you know, we, we came back and we invested in our neighborhood. We have bought a building so that it's not just some snack shop that's selling uh, drug paraphernalia and junk food. We actually made an incubator space where an accountant has come in and does taxes for people and speaks Spanish because that's a large portion of our neighborhood. We've invested in that building so that pop-up retail can come in. And then during the summer, we have the market. So I invest back where I live. I don't just say government needs to go fix my neighborhood. I say I'm responsible just as much as government to give back where I can. And I'm blessed. God has taken care of me and my family that I get to live next door to my parents. I have some built-in babysitters to a certain extent. Um, but I can, I have, I have been smart enough with my money that I have the ability to buy a building in my neighborhood and give back, not just tell other people that they need to go invest in my neighborhood. Okay, okay, we're, we're, we're going to go with audience questions. Audience questions. I said it was going to be earlier, but it's still really eight. <laughs> not really earlier at, at the end of the day. But the audience questions are brought to you 
uh, by RondaGuidenTravel.com. That's RondaGuidenTravel.com. Only they can give you domestic and international travel with a personal touch. Leave all planning to RGT. That's RondaGuidenTravel.com. And the first question comes from Jason. And he says, what are your thoughts about creating a sports network in the city, possibly funded by the disadvantaged neighborhood funds and have area sports figures as coaches and mentors for the young kids at risk to provide them a consistent platform of re- of results and participation? I love it. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for Peoria Friendship House. I was the interim executive director uh, early last year when uh, our previous one left. I, I was on the search committee where we brought in Marcellus Somerville uh, to now be our executive director, and he has the Next Generation Academy, so he's got basketball covered. I know that we've got the Louisville Slugger uh, Dome. We've got all the fields up there by the stadium. That's something that truly we could be a destination. There's actually a candidate uh, for one of the city council seats who he he even has it as part of his his platform is that every weekend we could have uh, sports in town taking advantage of all the facilities that can translate into bringing teams from within Peoria, not just bringing people from outside Peoria and giving them an opportunity to compete against other kids uh, from throughout the state and region. I don't think that's something that city government is supposed to be doing. That's something that, Tonight, Robert Johnson uh, celebrated 25 years of service with the Peoria Park District. I think he's taken some really bold steps, and and he's been pretty progressive uh, to try to drive more uh, citizen engagement and accountability. Um, I know here in our neighborhood, they've come down and engaged the neighbors uh, to do more at Morton Square Park and provide more programming and, and all this. That's something that if that's an idea we have and a way that we can do it, Let's engage those who do sports, right? Whether that be, uh, you know, PGSL or the Peoria Girls Softball League or, you know, baseball, uh, the soccer and scouting, any of those organizations, let's get them engaged. But that's not something that I think most taxpayers would say, yes, give me that versus having the roads fixed, right? So in a perfect world, we could facilitate that discussion. We can make sure that we connect people with the right resources, but I don't know that that's something that we at city hall need to take up as a priority. We need to make sure that, that we engage the right folks when, when we have issues or ideas and bring them together so that collaboratively we can get stuff done because the city, that's where we fund the HRA tax. There's a way that those organizations could come in and ask for a portion of the uh, hotel, restaurant, and amusement tax. And that's where the city could help, right? Because there is a slush fund of money there that we could hand out to help uh, promote sports, you know, get that advertising or or get the transportation in place. But that's not someplace that I'm prepared to say, oh, yeah, that's got to be the priority at City Hall. That's got to be a priority of, of individuals who will put that together because we don't have the staff and resources at City Hall right now. Uh, this next question comes from Donnie, and the question is, throughout the pandemic, our local restaurants and bars were deemed non-essential while big box stores like Walmart and Target were allowed to operate. As mayor, will you stand up to the governor when necessary and give our small businesses confidence that they won't be subject to these discriminatory double standards? Yes, and in fact, I've talked about that in in 
uh, I think it was in one of the questionnaires or at a forum, that we have to be smart about how we do things. We have to be encourage each other to be better humans, right? So that is personal responsibility and accountability on not just the bar owners, but the, the patrons as well. So if, because if we're not careful, the implementation of any rules or laws that, that shut a place down can have huge financial impacts on our business owners in town. So if you are walking into a bar or restaurant and you don't have your mask and the waitress is wearing her mask and the bar or the restaurant's doing everything that they're supposed to, then that's when they come over and say, hey, you know, sir, um, we ask that you wear a mask. That's where you have to not be a jerk and and yell at the staff member who's just trying to keep the, the business, the place that pays their bills open. I've got friends who own bars and restaurants here in town, some of which who had to shut down for a while. And and those bar owners, they're, they're trying to take care of their staff members. Those staff members aren't making as much on unemployment uh, as they were when they were working. And the bars aren't making as much money when all they're allowed to do is the, the, the curb side because a lot of those businesses make their extra money or make the good money when someone comes in, sits down, gets a drink, orders some fries to while they're talking with a buddy, and then you know the the saltiness from the fries. They're like, "Oh, I need another beer. I need another soda." Uh, you know what? I'm already here. I've been here half an hour. Just go ahead and get me a burger too. Like, there's a, a compounding growth uh, on sales in that regard. So we have to do everything we can to empower our our small business owners to be able to stay open and. I think we there's a fine line between being the mayor of East Peoria who said, uh, you know, maybe flip the bird to the governor and said, we're going to do whatever we want. And, and actually talking with the residents and saying, hey, guys, we understand that we need these businesses to be here for the long term. So customers, let's be respectful of, of the business owners. Wear your mask where it's appropriate, um, you know, like. Don't yell at staff when they're trying to, to, to do anything. And, and we also have to be respectful of the business owner and not, I've seen it way too much where somebody walks into a restaurant and maybe the waitress uh, didn't have her mask on fully or something. And all of a sudden we hate on a place and we, we try to cancel them. And, and that's not healthy for us, right? That's, that's not us taking care of each other and having empathy. That's us pushing like just hatred and we have to bring out the positive. And, and if you see that in a restaurant, Hey ma'am, you know, your mask is down here. Can, can you put it up? And, and I think more business owners than not would say, Oh, sorry. Right. Put the mask up, take your order, bring you your food uh, and take care of you. But that's where we have to be better to each other. We have to be connected with each other. And, and, and sadly, I think COVID has driven, people to be more polarized and it doesn't help that the last few months have been polarizing nationally, politically speaking, but we need to stop bringing the national politics home and, and focus on our community and bringing out the best in each other versus trying to fight each other all the time. That doesn't work. Chris, uh, we, we got a couple more that dropped in. I'll let you grab those. All right. Uh, I'm going to start with Nick's question here. Uh, 
says Peoria is becoming a tax and fees city lately, causing individuals to leave the city. How are you going to impact and reverse this? Reversing is probably going to be a hard trend for a while. Uh, we've got a lean budget. We, we are going to need to uh, be very diligent on looking at every expense and, and sometimes telling people, hey, we can't afford that, right? I, I've already told people, I, my prediction is this upcoming April election, there's the referendum to, to add the, the pension tax fee you know, onto our bills. And I think some of the other candidates have said it, right? It's not going to pass. It's not fair to put that on the ballot, whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I think it's going to fail. We're going to be sitting at on the council floor in May, struggling to, to meet our demands. And it's we're going to implement a tax to the level that can be done without referendum approval. And it's just going to drive people crazier and, and nuts. Um, but that's that's the history and that's what we've seen out of the council. If we're going to change that, we need to have a mayor like myself who's willing to have the discussion and who's willing to say maybe something that's kind of unpopular, right? We're going to have to look at it and say, gosh, can we afford to spend half a million dollars on uh, an outside organization to promote um, people having conventions here in Peoria when no one's having conventions? when the civic center can't have groups of people in there. And, and we've got to look at what we're spending money on and, and truly cut those and then have the conversation. And, and I've told this to, to all the unions I've talked with, if we're going to raise taxes or fees to cover some uh, expense for our employees, that the unions can't be out there, you know, hating on the council and saying that we're, we're that the city council is doing something wrong they need to be there educating the public as well, saying that the difference between four-minute response time, which is what the National Firefighters Protection Association recommends, and eight minutes means the full loss of your house, means grandma doesn't make it, um, you know, and, and having people understand that versus pitting each other against each other and fighting, right? We can do this together and say, hey, we are going to collect this $2 million a year through this, this fee. That's going to offset the money that we would have had to put into the pension. But now we can actually maintain the same budget that we had, and we're not going to go off and chase some new shiny thing. We're going to put the money into the reserves and do what we've promised Purians that we will do if you give us this money. So um, it, it's having the discussion, it's being transparent, and it's doing what we'll say we're going to do when we take the money from the taxpayers. Okay. And I'm going to throw out one final one here, and, and then we're going to jump on over to the lightning round. Uh, Francine, who's also concerned about uh, both city fees and property taxes increasing, is considering thinking about selling and moving to another area that, that might charge, save, and spend better than Peoria. And, and her question there really is, is there a, a plan to keep young homeowners such as herself staying in Peoria? Unfortunately, there's not a plan by the city at, at this point. Um, we have, and in fact, it was just in the last month or two, uh, we partnered up with the city of Normal to offer some additional incentives for first-time homeowners. Um, so that is something that, you know, in terms of an action the city has taken, um, is something to help new homeowners. 
to keep people here, we need to, to live up to our word. We need to provide safe streets, uh, public safety, and, and we need to take care of, of what commitments we've made to the residents of Peoria. Uh, the sad thing is, is if you're trying to sell a home right now in Peoria, you're likely going to lose some money. And, and I've seen it. I was doing some studies the other day. There were homes up in Weaver Ridge selling for 700000 plus that are now selling for 400000 right? And that's just in like the last five years. So imagine like in my neighborhood, places that were once selling for 50, <laughs> you, you can't even get 20 for them. So we have to do something to, to turn that around or we're going we're gonna to end up driving people to hate Peoria versus loving Peoria. And we actually have to, to, to showcase that we're living up to the commitment. And for me personally, I've told people, come move into my neighborhood. It's affordable. We've gotten four new families to move into my neighborhood because I sit there and tell them all the great things about the neighborhood. You can walk down the street to go to the, the bakery um, you know, we've got the farmer's market, the riverfront's just a short walk away. There are so many great things here in the North Valley um, that we offer. And the same is true. If you go into any neighborhood in Peoria, uh, there's the cool things that makes Peoria awesome. And, and we need to highlight them. And we need to convince people that that's worth investing in so that they'll stick around so that they see the beauty. And again, that forward positive momentum versus always feeling that that city council is coming in pickpocketing them and taking more money out of their paycheck. Um, you know, so I would hope that to Francine, to anybody who's thinking about leaving Peoria because of, of the situation we're in, you have the opportunity to elect a new mayor. You have the opportunity to have someone who will be honest with you, have this discussion with you, and not just, you know, the three of us, but I'll go down to City Hall and I'll have this discussion with the other city council members and we'll have it in public so that you have people on the record, right? So that you can actually say, yes, such and such council member is on board or you know what council members you need to call and say, why aren't you on board with this uh, and hold them accountable. I'm the one talking about doing that and having that conversation and making the policy because that's how government's supposed to work. I want people like Francine, new young homeowners to stick around because demographically speaking, according to the community health survey, the, the younger people in our community are leaving at a faster speed than anyone else. We are growing our 65 plus community but those in the prime of their of their lives, raising children, um, you know, getting jobs and and being able to buy a home and fix it up and all that, those are the ones. Maybe it's like Francine that say, you know what, screw it, I'm out, and and we can't afford to let that happen anymore. That's what happened to Peoria in the '80s. Uh, that's what happened to my neighborhood in the '80s. It's what's happened to the South End. And we have people who won't stick around or who say, ah, you know what? I've made it well enough. I'm getting out. And again, it's where I'm different than every other candidate because I didn't say I made it. I'm out. I said, I made it. 
Now I want to come and be an example. I want to make sure that I can mentor some of the kids in my neighborhood. I want to make sure that we have a, a, a positive, safe place where kids can play, where they can get you know good food, and where we address some of these issues so that people will say, wow, I want to live there. Or they can say, Diaz, I want you as my neighbor, right? Because everybody likes tomatoes and you grow. Last year, we grew like 500 pounds of tomatoes. I mean, it was crazy. But that's the kind of thing that is happening throughout our community. I mean, you go look at, at the East Bluff, right? Willa Lucas, if I say Willa Lucas's name, I bet you half of Peoria knows who she is because she she's done something in her neighborhood to make an impact and be that positive change. She's not doing it for kudos or for the camera. She's doing it because she's a good human. You you look at Julie Athambili Ryan, right, who did Peoria Grown. She doesn't do it for the kudos. She does it because she's a she wants to make Peoria a better place. So Francine, to anybody who has just moved into Peoria and feels overtaxed and overfeed and all that, I get it. I do. I got 13 notices. I was delinquent on the pension fee uh, a couple of weeks ago because I never got the first one. But I get those bills myself because we own that many of the vacant lots and are trying to do stuff here in our neighborhood. I get that. But I'm asking for your patience and I'm asking for your vote because we can change what we do in the city and we can empower you to be active in your neighborhood, in your resident association, uh, or with some nonprofit to help turn Peoria around. And we need you. We need everybody. I commit to you tonight, and, and I'll make this as a campaign promise. Rita and Sid will continue to be on the council if I win. I will ask them to get involved. If they have the connections and the ability to go change the educational system, do it. And I will help you and bring that conversation to the city floor so that when the city can offer help or they are in that lane, we can do it. If there is a, an idea that we can do to empower businesses that, um, you know, Sid wants to bring, I'm not going to stop him from doing that. And I don't know what's stopping these council members today, even to, to make the political stunt. They could do it. They just had a council meeting last night. They could have made that any of their campaign promises a reality last night by asking the city manager to start on anything. And they don't. So if they won't do it when they're on the council and have the opportunity and it's election season, when are they going to do it? I'm telling you, I'll go in on the first week and we're going to start putting policy sessions on the calendar so that city council members actually have to take action. Instead of giving you promises and lip service, we're going to take action because we're past the time of, of lip service. We've got to do something. Okay. That Thank takes you, us uh, into yeah. the lightning round. Uh, Chris, bear with me. I'm sorry. Is one more question I got to ask that I, I told I, I told you I was going to ask. And so short answer, short answer, short answer. Um, after, after, the, after the debate last week, uh, I saw uh, Pat Fajay, shout out to Pat Fajay, who, who helped me put this thing on last week. He, he, he shot, he Kobe'd a water bottle into the garbage. 
And if anybody knows anything about me, I'm like, because I'm a huge recycling person. I'm, I'm, I'm huge. And I know you got the rolling acres and it's not the same thing, but any idea. And I remember reading an article that put out by the PJR years ago. And it, was just, it was something like $7 million that the city uh, spent to buy a new landfill space and all that type of stuff. And I've always wondered, what can we do as a city to be, promote more green to promote more recycling. I mean, you, before you had to pay to get one of those recycling bins, we don't do anything about compost. Where's, what's your thought on that? How do you feel about it? Is there anything that you would want to do as mayor to uh, bring us into the, the the present century when it comes to being green? I don't know if I should say this too much, but when I hired into Caterpillar, I came in to work with our customers in the landfill space to go off and teach them about landfill compactors and uh, I learned a lot about composting, recycling, um, MRFs, which is a multi, uh, material recycling facility. Those are all really expensive things. Um, we have a contract with PDC that actually has money to educate people. Uh, I was one of their models. Uh, there was a billboard with me, like kind of like this, throwing uh, some stuff into the recycling bin. Uh, I was on the side of the buses because I do believe that we can recycle uh, and and save money. There's ways we can do that. Uh, it's built into the the waste contract. And when that comes back up for a um, renewal, if there is something that we see that we want as a community to hit better recycling numbers, then that's something that we have to be willing to invest in too, right? Because everything's got a cost. There's a dollar sign on everything you want to do. Um, but if there was a way, and in fact, um, better Earth. Um, has the Better Earth Logistics, and they started that, again, private dollars taking care of the composting. If you want to take all your eggshells, coffee grounds, all that stuff down to Sous Chef, uh, down there on the south end on, it's 1331 uh, Washington. Uh, it's like one block in from MacArthur, um, right there by uh, uh, Casa de Arte. They have a place where you can compost and take your compost materials. That's a private solution to a public problem. So there are opportunities to actually do some of what you're asking for. Um, but I get you, man. Like I see it. There, there's, there's better ways. My wife sometimes yells at me because uh, instead of washing out the, the tin can for, you know, the sloppy Joe's, I just throw it in the trash can. She's I know I'm not perfect. Right. I, I want to be that perfect candidate. I'm not, but I'm honest. I'll tell you, like, I don't do as good a job as, as I could, but, but we can be better if that's what we put our focus on. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. On to lightning round brought to you by McCall Law Offices, PC and Halliday McCall located at 1225 North North Street, where they focus on personal injury accidents family law and criminal defense call right now for a consultation well not right now but you can call for a consultation a free one at 309-948-5908 to put their attorneys in your corner are you ready i just want to say shout out to chris mccall he and i went through project opportunity uh 25 years ago and we are examples chris and i and, and quite a few others juria james like i don't want to start naming everybody i'll forget someone of people that the city invested in that the educational system invested in. And, and we we are now in a position to make Peoria a better place. And, and that's what more of us need to be doing is trying to make Peoria a better place. So shout out to Chris McCall for uh, 
all the work he does in the legal field and, and his previous run for state's attorney. Shout out to Chris McCall. Okay, you already did this before, so you know how this goes. A minute 30 up, we're going to see if we can get through them. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay, remember the Titans or any given Sunday? Any given Sunday. Okay, Mac or PC? Uh, PC. Help me out, tacos, green sauce or the red sauce? Oh, you got to mix it, man. And it depends <laughs> if you're pork or beef. All right, pork is green, beef is red. I'm chicken. <laughs> well, then you can do green. That, that green will do good. <laughs> if you could bring any company to Peoria, who would it be? Oh, I'd bring the Chicago Bears practice team to come down and work out all summer long. Uh, Fresh Prince or Family Matters? Family Matters. Favorite location in Peoria? Urban Acres in the near north end. You're a businessman, Robin Hood or E-Trade? Ooh, uh, I've actually got both accounts. Uh, so, but E-Trade, E-Trade, I think is is the more legit one. Okay, what 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 app takes up most time on your phone? Email. Uh, WMBD or News Twenty Five? Tell me. I give a shout out WMBD for all the work they put into making the community a better place. Great salt or sugar? I can't remember if you said it last time. Oh, it depends, man. I, uh, but, you know, I'm a big boy. I got to maintain my salt levels, so probably a little bit of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Three words that describe Diaz. Optimistic, dreamer, and empowering. Best food in Peoria? Panaderia Ortiz. Who do you endorse for city council? Change. So if you can vote out an incumbent, this is, might be the year to do it. And, and I'd encourage people take a look at all the candidates and understand who's been around the horseshoe, who's given you a lot of promises and never given you the actual uh, results. Last words or were those it? No, I, I want to tell people, go to diazformayor.com. Check it out. I am transparent as I can be. I post every questionnaire and I give answers and I'm the same guy, whether I'm talking to you guys on Facebook or one-on-one -on -one with somebody in, in, in person and I'm responsive. If you want to give me a call, my phone number is 309-453-6951. You can text me. You can call me. Put up smoke signals if that's what it takes. But I want to hear from people, and I want to make change in Peoria. 453, you used to have Sprint. <laughs> you darn right I did. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Uh, thank you guys for uh, for coming in. I shouldn't have said welcome, my bad. But thank you guys for watching State of Pure. We appreciate you stopping in and checking us out. And, of course, this is brought to you by State Farm Agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, right by that reservoir. Watch the potholes. He specializes in car home and life insurance and investments. He's the best in the business and you can make him work for you by calling 309-685-7111. Chris, take us out. All right, thank you for being here. Mr. Tiaz, we appreciate it. Remember everybody, early voting is open through February 22nd. The primary is February 23rd. Get out there and vote one way or the other. And we'll be back next Wednesday with our final mayoral candidate, Jim Montalongo.